So the airlines are really struggling. We've talked about it here on Chewing the Fat before. We know that KLM said that they're going to cut an additional 1,000 jobs this year because of government plans requiring all passengers and crew to pass the COVID-19 test. They cut 5,000 jobs last year, KLM alone. We know that the TSA is now mandating that masks must be worn at the airports and bus terminals, any public transportation. And of course, you have to take it down briefly to confirm your ID. But other than that, you have to be wearing a mask. We know that American Airlines and Southwest both posted record losses this past year. Uh, Their recovery will be directly linked to the decline in COVID-19 cases. I don't even know if that matters now. They all are uh, dying, literally dying, unless they get help from the government. And we also got news yesterday of something else that's happening with the airlines that is really kind of disturbing and doesn't make me feel good about flying. (laughs) And uh, you have to hear what the issue is. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. Okay, so apparently pilots are getting rusty and they're making errors in flight. This does not make me feel good about flying. (laughs) It does not make me feel good at all. I know we're really struggling. I know we're, we're having to document our paperwork when we're traveling and it's becoming more and more difficult to travel. But when I hear that pilots are getting rusty and making mistakes while flying, That doesn't make me feel good. It makes me think, you know, maybe I'll just drive. How about that? I mean, we know there's plenty of countries that aren't going to accept passengers and visitors from other countries right now due to COVID anyway. So international travel is becoming more and more difficult. But travel here in the U.S. is becoming more and more difficult anyway because we're having to prove that we've had COVID-19 tests and negative tests to get into different states and we're going to be flying. They're not even accepting people coming from some states. It's really, really a strange thing and the airlines are really struggling with it. But when I hear that pilots are forgetting to disengage the parking brake, damaging towing vehicles while trying to pull the plane away, When I hear that a pilot had so much trouble landing a passenger jet on a windy day that it took three tries before the plane touched down successfully, that one doesn't bother me too much, actually. I was in a plane coming from Detroit to Dallas, and we were landing in Dallas, and we were coming down, and it looked like it was really storming and windy and blowing. And when we got close to the runway, the plane started going back and forth and then we took off again and we circled back around and tried it one more time so it was three times the third time we landed and we landed because we came in from a different angle the second time we tried uh we came around and the pilot was like yeah we're not doing that again we're going around to the other side 
and uh, we're going to land there. And we came around from the other side, and it was still really storming and windy, but he brought us down. And I thought, thank you. Appreciate it. So that one doesn't bother me too much because pilots do have trouble landing passenger jets on stormy, windy days. And when they do, they're smart enough and trained enough to know, hey, you know what? We're going to pull up and we're going to fly around. We're going to attempt it again, or we're going to come in from a different angle. That's what we do. I appreciate that one. But then we find out that uh, pilots are forgetting to turn on the anti-icing mechanism that ensures the altitude and airspeed sensors on the outside of the plane are not blocked by ice. Things like that. Little things like that that make you think, you know, maybe you ought to practice. So I guess what they're saying is that because these pilots have not been flying on a regular basis, they're forgetting to do things. How about even if they're not flying, we still make them, I don't know, go through the motions. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> huh? Because I want to know that my pilot is, I don't know, not drunk, not high, and able to, you know, remember to flip the switches that need to be flipped. What do you think? Pretty good idea? I think so. I think so. And because it's becoming more and more of a pain to fly commercially, wheels up the so-called Uber for private aviation is going public uh, sometime this year. And it's a standalone private jet company. And I got to tell you, I think it's a pretty good idea if they can make it, you know, worth your while. According to them, uh, demand is inconsistent and maintaining a fleet of airplanes is expensive, but founder and CEO Kenny Ditcher thinks the interest is still there and the industry isn't just meeting it. He claims that 90% of the people who can afford to fly have not flown private jets. That's, that's a lot. And I will say that if it's affordable, to fly private people are going to do it if they make it more like flying private than flying um commercially people will do it you get pretty used to it i've flown private um a number of times in my life i was fortunate enough to be able to do that and you get spoiled fast you get spoiled really fast. Like, no security. Uh, a lot of airports, you just drive up to the plane and get out and get on the plane. And you're good to go. It's incredible. Um, obviously, you have to put on your seatbelt. Right. And you have to, uh, you know, not use your electronic devices Right. I mean, it's incredible, the difference. It's the, the comfort level. You don't have to, you're not waiting in line to get on your plane. It's, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. And if you have done it before, you know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, I, I think it could work if they could make it affordable. But I don't know that in today's world with COVID-19 
and you know having to you know have the sanitary flying conditions and the testing and the who you're traveling with how private is private um how what do you what are you paying for you know am i going to have to travel with 10 people i don't know do i believe that they've been tested and are negative and they're not uh (laughs) they're not contagious do i travel with five people i mean i maybe i guess it just depends on the cost it'd be interesting to see the the wheels up payment plan (laughs) i mean uh that's a that's a pretty good thing to know uh you know who you're traveling with and that's what makes private so nice right i mean you normally know who you're traveling with and you're on the plane with people you know and you're comfortable and you're going to your destination without having to go through the customary commercial airline pain in the ass process so that makes it pretty sweet and if you can if this wheels up can make it so customers avoid that yeah they're going to do really well. So those of you listening live today, the 2nd of February, uh, 2021, uh, know, and if you don't know, you will in a moment, that it is Groundhog's Day. <laughs> yes, it's Groundhog's Day. And uh, the groundhog saw its shadow. So six more weeks of winter is a uh, coming. That's according to the prediction of uh, Phil, the uh, groundhog at uh, Gobbler's Knob. (laughs) And uh, he's done so each year since 1887. Incredible. Incredible. Now, in the past six years, uh, the groundhog predicting a longer winter three times and an early spring three times, but dating back to 1887, according to the Associated Press, Phil has predicted six more weeks of winter more than a hundred times, making this year's prognos- prognostication, I'm going to say that word correctly, prognostication, a return to normal after last year's prediction of an early spring. Now, they did it virtually and everybody logged on and watched uh, Punxsutawney Phil. And I thought, you know, what do you got to, I'm looking at the guys. I, 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 for some reason this year, it really caught me that, okay, who are these guys? Are they the groundhoggers? Are they, you know, who are, it's the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club established in 1887. Now you can join the club and that doesn't say, um, I gotta see if it say says how I can join the club, but I can become a Groundhog Club inner circle, and they have the presidents and the vice presidents and the treasurer and his handler, the rainmaker and the health man and the ice man and the thunder conductor and the big chill and the ozone and the daybreaker, and they've had the. <laughs> the stump warden and the coal front i love their nicknames i want the black top hat which i have one by the way i don't know that it's as you know good or as uh you know as as prestigious as a groundhog club members top hat but i do have one 
and uh, I I want to I want to I want to be a, a groundhog member. Now I can join the club for twenty bucks, and that gets me an official membership card signed by the official keeper of the legend of Punxsutawney Phil, the president of the Groundhog Club. You also receive a copy of his official proclamation. <laughs> And I'm invited to the reception on February 1st, huh? Held by the inner circle. But I want to become part of the inner circle. I mean, I think that's probably, that's an inside gig. Uh, you don't just become uh, part of the inside circle. You, that's a, that's an inside job. <laughs> uh, you don't just become a groundhogger. Okay. That just doesn't happen. You can quote me on that. Now, I know that they have other Groundhog celebrations. They have one in West Virginia that was canceled. Not Punxsutawney Phil, though. Okay? No. And in the old days, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, it came to my attention that the Groundhog Club uh, not only relied on the uh, Groundhog for their weather forecasting, but they ate them as well. I say we need to bring back that tradition as well. What did you, uh, what did you, uh, what, what did you, what's that? Six more weeks of winter? Okay, we're cooking you up. I'm sorry, what? Six more weeks, uh, uh, spring come early? Oh, okay, well, we'll see. If spring doesn't come early, we're cooking you up. I think that's what saves the groundhog. You either predict spring and you're right, but if you predict winter or you're wrong on the spring, we cook you up. Sorry, groundhogger rules. I may have to interview the people from the Groundhog Club. I want to know. I want to know if I could become part of the inner circle. I want to know the history. I mean, it talks about uh, the history on the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club website about a Christian religious holiday of Candlemas Day and how it has turned into and evolved into Groundhog Day. Uh, we may have to talk to the... <laughs> We may have to talk to the club and find out just what is going on and how I become a member of the inner circle, not just a club member. That's got to happen here on Chewing the Fat. As long as we're talking about animals, I see, you know, we talk about animals going extinct all the time and they're concerned about, uh, you know, the planet uh, killing off all these animals. We just found a new species of whale in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, of course, the new species is critically endangered because they don't know how many there are. And so, you know, we're concerned about them. It's dubbed Rice's Whale after the American biologist Dale Rice, who was the first to recognize the mammal. Um, so <laughs> one of these whales washed up on a Florida beach a couple years ago. And this biologist said, hey, that doesn't, that scale doesn't look like the other blue whales. I'm sorry, the whales from birds whales, uh, you know, that are related to the blue and humpback whales. And so he checked it out and yep, uh, it's a new different kind of whale. And it uh, weighs up to 60,000 pounds, grows up to 42 feet long. But it's a different kind of whale because the skull was different than the bird's whale. Um, 
<laughs> bird, you know, as in B-Y-R-D-E whales. Uh, I'm guessing he was another researcher that discovered the one certain kind of whale that was, you know, related to the blue and the humpback whale, but it wasn't one of them. So he named it after himself. And now there's another one that washed up on shore that's different from that one. And that's Rice's whale. Dale Rice gets to name his whale. And so it's a, it's a new kind of whale. But, of course, we don't know how many there are. We don't know, you know, we're, we know they're, they're critically endangered. I mean, do we? But I guess we do. I mean, we're going to believe that it is. And, of course, the biggest threats include vessel strikes, ocean noise, energy exploration and production, oil spills, entanglement in fishing gear, ocean debris. These are the biggest threats to these giant whales. So this giant whale that weighs 60,000 pounds, grows up to 42 feet long, is concerned about entanglement in fishing gear and ocean debris. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. You know, you're going to prove me wrong. Oh, haven't you seen the pictures of the whales and they've eaten all that trash? Yeah, I have seen that. But I find, I'm guessing if I have a fishing net out there, entanglement in fishing gear, uh, I'm guessing that something that is 42 feet long and 60,000 pounds is going to go right through it. That's just me, though. I'm just, that's just a guess. I don't know that. You know, you, you just, I'm not a whale guy. So, you know, I feel sorry for him. I'm surprised, though, that the biggest threat, one of the biggest threats, isn't climate change. That's pretty amazing. Because now we've got, I've got another story talking about the world's tiniest reptile. I know. And why am I talking about the world's tiniest reptile? Well, because the Brucasia nana species of chameleon uh, is really minuscule. It's about a half an inch long. And the female seems to be slightly bigger than the one described. But the scientific journals are reporting that uh, the smallest one that they found is 0.75 inches. And it's the smallest adult reptile on record. And of course, they measure it from, you know, the nose to the butt, you know, the cloaca. And uh, however, what they've discovered about the smallest reptile is when the smallest reptile is ready to take care of business uh it's it's taking care of business organs pops out and it is 18.5 percent of the total body length of the male chameleon so i mean it's a big it's huge (laughs) so it doesn't say in here if you know some of the chameleons are you know 19 percent if some are 16 percent who's bigger who's smaller but it does you know the females are larger so the 
you know, the males are trying to, you know, show off and take care of a little breeding business with the chameleons. Now, but what brought me to, of course, the, of course they're endangered. Of course they are. Um, we don't know how many there are. So because of that, we're guessing that they're critically endangered. Of course we are. And they can be found in the rainforests in Madagascar, in northern Madagascar. And of course, the Madagascar rainforest is under threat. And there's a worry that these lizards could become victims of factors such as deforestation. But it doesn't say climate change. Two animal stories talking about them being endangered and they don't mention climate change. Come on now. What's going on? Why are we not concerned about climate change for these animals? I thought climate change was new, the new racial justice. I thought the world was coming to an end. It's climate change, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, the world is, it's over. Climate change is it. That's what we all care about. Nothing else. We don't care about anything else but climate change. And yet, we have two stories on possible endangered species and no mention of climate change being a threat to these animals. What's happening? What is going on? I know. I don't know either. But we're going to get to the bottom of it. I'll tell you that. All right. Let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink. Desperately. So good. So I see Elon all over the news again. He apparently is going to give up Twitter, or at least not give it up. He's going to take a break from it for a few days. Uh, he is talking about uh, his Mars space trip uh, already moving up a little bit on the time frame. Uh, I see where they made a big deal about uh, the wife or the girlfriend uh, giving the son uh, the Viking the Viking inspired haircut. I mean, so what? He's your kid. Let him do what you want to want. But I also uh, noticed that Neuralink is in the news because they talked about wiring up a monkey to play video games. But now, I, and the reason that he's promoting, you know, the monkey and the Neuralink wires is because he's looking for people to work at Neuralink. I think I want to work there. <laughs> I mean, am I ready to work at Neuralink? I think not. I was watching their video of some of the, you know, people that they have working there and they're pretty smart, uh, pretty smart people. You can quote me on that. And if, according to Elon, uh, you know, he wants me to please consider working at Neuralink. Okay. Now I can work at the Bay area or Austin locations. Okay. I'm already in Texas. Austin's right down the road. I'm, I've already got a place to stay if I need to in the Austin area. Uh, according to Elon, if I've worked on advanced wearables, which, you know, I haven't, um, phones, I've worked on phones before or robots, eh, no, uh, but those skills are needed. So I've, you know, I'm partial, I have partial skills (laughs) to work at Neuralink. (laughs) I would love to work at Neuralink. That would be fun. But where they're at is incredible what they're doing and i was watching their um working on the neuralink robot video and the one 
employee talks about where they're at as far as what the robot can do and what's coming. And it is incredible. I would say the next big goal for the robot would be to make it so that there's minimal neurosurgeon interface. That a neurosurgeon can walk in and talk to the patient, make them feel comfortable about the procedure, walk them through exactly what's going to happen, and then essentially click go. And the robot will be able to figure out exactly what the specific topography of the patient will be, target the areas, and take the surgery from the patient coming in and sitting down to them walking out of the door that same day. Wow. So the surgeon comes in and says, uh, here's what we're going to do. And by we, I mean the robot. And we're going to do this and I'm going to leave and I'll be watching somewhere uh, down the hall, but, uh, the robot is going to do it all. And then uh, we're going to kick you out of here. Okay. All right. Take care. And really that's already going on. Um, I was talking to the doctor that took my gallbladder out. And he uses robots all the time and loves them. And there's a number of hospitals that are using robotics. There are a number that still aren't because right now they're pretty darn expensive. And they talk about it in the Neuralink video where they want to try to make it, you know, available for everyone, not just, uh, you know, the high and mighty. So, uh, you know, hospitals and people with a lot of money. But it's already being done. It's just incredible what they're doing. There's no... <laughs> it's just incredible. And the future really looks bright. And so, Elon, give me a call. I'm happy to, you know, I'll stop in down at the Austin Neuralink offices. And, you know, maybe I can hang out. Look, the one robot guy said he didn't know anything about brain surgery when he started working there. So, I mean, I don't either. <laughs> So, okay. I mean, I got a shot. Maybe, you know, I know Elon's busy, but, you know, call me. DM me when you come back on Twitter. Okay? All right. Hey, if you're listening to this right now, bless your hearts. But if you're listening to this and you're not a subscriber to this show, you're just a freeloader listening in, um, you need to stop being a freeloader. You need to subscribe to this podcast and then become a freeloading subscriber. It's the best thing you could do for your life right now. Nobody likes a freeloader. You know that, but people love freeloading subscribers because they think, Oh, wow, you figured out a way to get it for free. Yes, I did. But if you're a freeloader, then it's just like you're oh, a freeloader. Nobody likes that. So become a freeloading subscriber, subscribe to this podcast you can use the platform that you're listening to it on right now if you like that platform. And, or you can use, there's a plethora of platforms out there, whatever one warms the little cockles of your heart, like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and any of the others that uh, carry this broadcast, carry this show. Um, you need to just become a subscriber and make your life that much better. Okay? Okay, then. So, you know, I was listening to a podcast over the weekend. Um, I think it's called Crime Story. I'm not, I think it's called Crime Story. But I started listening to, uh, I started listening to it. And I was, it's like an hour long. And I was involved in the story. It's about a murder, murders in New Zealand. And it's two, 
females that host the show, uh, host and co-host the show. And, you know, it's okay. It's not bad. It's all right. Um, But I was just fascinated about the story. I was involved in the story of these murders in New Zealand. And in the end, they don't know who did it. I don't know who did it. I mean, they let the guy go that they think got it because the cops all lied and uh, covered their asses and made sure this guy was guilty when, you know, he may have been, but they didn't have the evidence. So they manufactured some evidence. It was just amazing. I was so pissed that they end up. So they end up giving the guy who they believe is the murderer a bunch of money because the police had falsified evidence and falsified testimony against him. So now we still don't know who killed this couple in New Zealand. And I think I remember, if I feel like I remember talking about the daughter who's now, I don't know, 50 years old, something like that, because this happened back in the 70s, uh, early 70s. And uh, I remember a few years ago her calling out the government and the police department in New Zealand, the different investigating uh, departments, for just, ah, we don't know who killed your parents and, you know, oh, well, sorry. So anyway, it was just, (laughs) I don't know what made me think of that. It was just a fascinating story that I was listening to. Oh, I know, because I was listening to it and uh, my kids came in and said, hey, what are you listening to? And I saw chewing the fat with jeff fisher i mean it's a rule no matter what you're listening to when asked what you're listening to as a subscriber to chewing the fat your answer has to be chewing the fat it's okay that you listen to other podcasts but the rule is when asked what you're listening to you have to answer chewing the fat so i i mean i couldn't break my own rule (laughs) Speaking of breaking the rules or having a rule that you need to go by, I see a video of a woman in Memphis who, you know, they're making a big deal over her fighting off a would-be car thief. Now, she wouldn't have to have fought off this would-be car thief had she followed a basic rule that we've talked about here on Chewing the Fat before. When pumping gas, when you get out to pump your gas, you need to make sure that your doors, in particular, the doors on the opposite side of where you're pumping gas is locked. We've seen it before where thieves come up and they open the door, they take the purse, they close the door, they go. Now, this particular thief in this video, a car pulls up in the next, you know, gas pump lane, kid gets out of the car comes up to the side door of the car and the lady is pumping gas. He opens the side door, which is the rider's side, crawls in and he's gonna, he's gonna start the car and take off with her pumping gas in it. He's just gonna steal the car. So he gets in and she feels the car, you know, moving when he gets in and tries to, you know, get on the, get in behind the steering wheel and she drags him out and whops him and he takes off and you know runs around the car gets back in the car that dropped him off and they take off so they at the time of the story they never have caught the guy i'm sure they'll catch him sometime in the near future but my point is you have to follow the rules and the rules are that when you get out like that you have to keep your doors locked on your car you can leave the driver's side door open 
you know, if that's the side that you pump gas, some cars, obviously you pump gas on the rider side. I get that. But most cars are on the driver's side. I would guess. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But if you're pumping gas on the driver's side where you just pull into the tank and you get out, you open the driver's door, you leave it open a lot of times and you pump gas and you, you know, you're pumping your gas in your car. You always make sure that the rider's side is locked. Always, always. And I've done that now for, I don't know, several years now because I remember watching a video of this guy coming up and opening up the rider's side door and taking the purse of the lady who was pumping the gas, closing the door and taking off. And I thought, holy cow if you're pumping gas and you're say you're leaning up against the car and you're looking at the gas tank and you're just watching the numbers roll right and you're pumping gas and are you gonna if someone softly opened up your rider's side door and took your wallet or your briefcase or whatever was sitting in your seat would you notice that probably not I mean, it's possible, I guess, but could you get to the other side of the car and chase after someone in time? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but why chance it? So remember, that's a rule. <laughs> Just like whatever, whatever you're listening to, whatever podcast, whatever music you're listening to, and someone asks you as a subscriber to Chewing the Fat, your answer has to be Chewing the Fat. When you get out to pump gas in your car, lock the opposite side doors. If you know you can lock them all, obviously, but most importantly, lock the opposite side doors of where you're pumping gas, so that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to worry about thieves trying to, or would-be thieves trying to steal your property in your cars while you're pumping gas. Okay, all right, it's just a rule. Another rule, at least for Hollywood, seems to be, hey, it was a good TV show at one time, let's bring it back now, instead of, you know, new stuff. So it looks like T Frasier is going to make a return to TV. <laughs> I know, I know, apparently they've given, uh, you know, they're looking at giving a 10 episode order for uh, the new Frasier. Kelsey Grammer would be the executive producer and star in it. Uh, there's rumors that David Hyde Pierce would come back as his brother. I mean, it was a huge show. Do we need a, a new Frasier? I don't know. Maybe. Might be good. Might not be. But in this article, it talks about how both Grammer and Pierce are part of a new series and uh, part of their own series, I guess. And uh, one of the shows that Kelsey Grammer is working on is with Alec Baldwin. Uh, okay. Uh, let's hope that works out okay, Kelsey. like to see that. Oh, my gosh. I was just as I'm looking at the story. So, Frazier ran for 11 seasons. And it uh, set a record for the most Emmy Awards won by a scripted series, 37 including five consecutive Emmys for Outstanding Comedy Series. I mean, that could be why they're thinking about bringing it back. It's possible. That's very 
possible. And I see where there's a new uh, show that just got the go-ahead for, uh, it's a one-hour drama, and it got the pilot order. It's a Kevin Costner show. It's called National Parks, and it's about a small group of elite National Park Service agents as they solve crimes while protecting the parks. I like it. I like it. As we we worry about criminal activity in these huge, beautiful landscapes of the national parks, I like it. That might be that would that's a good show. I hope if it, I hope it's written right, and I hope the crimes are worthy of going after in the national parks. I don't want to I don't want to see. Oh, you shot a bear. We're coming after you. No, I want real crimes. Isn't shooting a bear? I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I want good crimes. Okay, I want real crimes out there in the national parks. I don't want to have to worry about, oh, you shot a bird. So, I want real crimes. Kevin, if you need help writing, give me a call. I'm here for you. And I see where Hillary and Chelsea are developing a new TV drama. Female Kurdish Militia. Boy, does that sound good, huh? A story of rebellion, courage, and justice. All right. No problem. I know that they've got their hidden light production company out there. So that probably has to do with their book, right? Uh, uh, Yes, because they said they were going to make shows and stories from their book the chelsea and uh, hillary book the heck was the name of that stupid book that they wrote yeah the the book of gutsy women favorite stories of courage and resilience right because they wanted to do their uh human spirit docuseries shows and they made a deal with their hidden light productions they well, this will be good. This will be this will be good. I mean, you're going to want to see Daughters of Kobani, a story of rebellion, courage, and justice. Because I know I do already. I'll tell you a show that's probably in the works. Uh, maybe just a documentary on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu. But, uh... Actress Evan Rachel Wood says her ex-fiance, Marilyn Manson, horrifically abused and brainwashed her, even grooming her as a teenager. She's, uh, According to her, they began dating in 2007 when she was 19 years old. He was 38. She claims now that Brian Warner, a.k.a. Marilyn Manson, carried out heinous acts of abuse during their relationship (laughs) okay wow Uh, he started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission she posted this on her Instagram and she claimed the name of my abuser is Brian Warner also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. I am done living in fear of retaliation, slander, or blackmail, 
Her post continued, I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. I stand with many victims who will no longer be silent. Wow! <laughs> that does not look good for Marilyn. Uh, now, you know, he's such a good guy, right? I mean, his name is Marilyn Manson. I'm sorry, Brian Warner. But, I mean, some of his stuff was okay. I couldn't, you know, could I name a Marilyn Manson song off the top of my head? No. Have I heard some that I really liked? Yes. But it was easy enough to, you know, look down the list. But in 2009, Manson told Spin Magazine that he often fantasized about smashing Wood's skull in with a sledgehammer. (laughs) That is not good. You know, who doesn't fantasize like that, right? I mean, I guess they broke up after some big affair and when that happens i mean you're gonna fantasize about smashing in your former lover's head with a sledgehammer right of course you are um she would first started talking a few years ago uh about uh abuse with a partner but she didn't announce the name now i remember everyone thinking that it was probably Marilyn, right i mean she was in this relationship for quite a while and I mean, is there going to be someone else other than Marilyn? I don't know. Um, She testified before the Judiciary Committee in 2018 in support of the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights, saying that she personally experienced toxic mental, physical, and sexual abuse and more. But she never announced that it was uh, Marilyn. Some other women according to this story report experiencing rape, torture, physical abuse, death threats, and more. Uh, okay. Uh, you know what that says to me? If this is true, if this is true, Marilyn is not a good guy. I know. I know. Don't, I mean, I'm just going out on a limb. I'm throwing it out there. But if if this is true, Marilyn is not a good guy. I'm just I'm just saying. Now, Manson uh, was asked to respond to the reports of abuse, and in a statement, a spokesperson for the entertainer said that personal testimony is just that. And we think it's inappropriate to comment on that. Oh. So. That's not a denial. (laughs) Uh, The comments in Spin where Manson had a fantasy of using a sledgehammer on Evan and he cut himself 158 times was obviously obviously a theatrical rock star interview promoting a new record and not a factual account. Obviously. (laughs) Okay. And at six months after that interview, according to this is when 
Wood and Manson got engaged. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't, you know, brainwashed and tortured. But again, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And if this is true, if, if this is true, Marilyn, not a good guy. Oh, and before we say goodbye today, I just want to let you know that uh, I told you. I told you it was going to happen. Now, 100% of my prediction is not done yet, but it's coming. So this past uh, weekend, the last few days, they've arrested over 5,000 people uh, for the pro-Navalny protests across Russia, and including his wife. Big surprise. He was sentenced to nearly three years in prison today. (laughs) Big surprise. Now, I know everyone thought that, uh, you know, he might possibly get sent to prison. There was no doubt he was going to be sent to prison. Now, you know, Putin is denying that he has anything to do with it. Right. And I know that, uh, you know, other countries are saying, hey, you need to release him. Uh Uh-huh. He and the wife are just going to is going to be disappeared you're not going to hear from him Putin's going to say I had nothing to do with it he was sentenced to prison because uh, of the embezzlement conviction I have nothing to do with anything it hasn't been fabricated this was an actual embezzlement conviction and now he's going to be you know in prison and I don't know who poisoned him that guy that uh, he busted for poison had nothing to do with me. So all you countries that are going against uh, my country and my courts, uh, the hell with you. I think that's pretty much a quote from Putin. So, I mean, he Navalny is going to be gone away, never to be heard from again. Now, I know as one kid goes to school here in the States, maybe both of them do. I know the one daughter does. And the mom was arrested and she may get out. And if I were her, I may consider getting out now, but I doubt she will because she's a big time proponent of her husband and the, you know, opposition to Putin and Russia. And, you know, she wants a better Russia and she's got protesters on her side. So she may stay in the country. I don't know, you know, I have a feeling And I I called that, you know, he's going to disappear. He's just going to go away. They're going to send him to prison. And and it's just going to, what happened? He's in that prison. Can we see him? No. And he's just going to go away. Poof. And maybe three years from now, we remember, wasn't he in that prison? Yeah, something happened. And he's just, he was transferred. And then one thing led to another. And we don't know what happened to him. We think he's still alive, but I don't know. It could be dead. We don't know what happened to him. He got transferred. We lost the paperwork, and now we don't know where he is. When we find him, we'll let you know. Okay? All right. Thanks for calling. (laughs) 